Hey, what's up, guys? It's Dan from United Q. It's Wednesday, which means we have another awesome podcast to get you over hump day. I'm here with my co-host, Ben. Hello. And we're brought to you by Pro-Q, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe, and Smoke with Shack, our awesome sponsors. Pro-Q's dedicated to providing you with quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Pro-Q Smokers. So if you think about buying your first smoker, wanting to upgrade, or looking for charcoal cabinet smokers, check them out over at Max Barbecue. Barbecue Gourmet is devoted to promoting real barbecue and supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning barbecue rubs, sauces, marinades and accessories in the US and around the world. And you can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. So regardless of how you cook, whether it's on charcoal, wood, gas or electric, the real taste of barbecue can be yours all year round. And Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation from smoking, roasting or searing. Kamado Joe is a premium ceramic grill chosen by Michelin star chefs and barbecue enthusiasts alike. Get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out uk plus Facebook and Twitter. And on today's show, we have Turan. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. Doing great very well. Have you on. Great to have you on. From popular demand, actually, we uh, put out a status asking uh, who people would like to hear from on the show, and uh, your name was one that came up from a, f- a few people, so uh, we're, oh, just, good. We're, we're happy to have you on. Well, I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you very much for asking me. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to talk about food. <laughs> Definitely. That's yeah. what we love. <laughs> uh, could you give <laughs> a brief sort of uh, intro uh, sort of about yourself to people, any listeners that don't know, can uh, get an understanding of, of where you're coming from and what you do? Yeah, sure. Yeah, my name's Taran. Um, originally uh, from London. I, I now live in Milton Keynes and I run Cold Smoking Cookery School and we're uh, we're not your ordinary cookery school. We are an artisan cookery school, so we teach skills like food smoking, meat curing and charcuterie, cheese making, etc. We also do quite a lot of sausage making as well, which is one of our very popular courses. Um, we're based in Great Linford in Milton Keynes. We've been running the courses from other venues since 2011, but uh, since 2014, September 2014, we've actually been based in our own cookery school in Great Linford in Milton Keynes. And uh, we, we operate from there. We also run a, a little side business uh, called smokedust.co.uk, and that's the, the business which supports the barbecuing and the food smoking business. And we do um, meat cures, uh, uh and all the equipment that you would expect to find. Uh, for barbecuing and um, and curing meat and making your own bacon and stuff like that. Cool, cool. cool. So, so what got you into smoking in the first place? Uh, I started initially making smoked salmon because um, my dad was in the food industry all his life. He's been in hotel management and restaurant uh, ownership. And um, he always used to whinge on about not being able to get really good smoked salmon. So uh, more as a an attempt to try and shut him up really <laughs> i had a go at making some smoked salmon uh went through the curing process and, and the smoking and to do it i had to build myself a smoker so um i i did all that and it i had a few disasters and, and it was sometimes it was far too salty and a little bit too over smoked but you know with time and a bit of effort i managed to get a really good technique going which is what I teach people now, but that's kind of how I got into it. So although I wasn't in the food industry with my dad, I was obviously very close to good food and, and that kind of thing 
throughout my whole life. So, I mean, my career path took a completely different turn. I, I ended up initially leaving school and going into engineering. And then I did that for four years and then joined the fire service. Um, did 30 years, just over 30 years in the fire brigade. So wow. being involved in food smoking is in some ways slightly ironic, really. <laughs> yeah, you must have got you must have got plenty of experience with smoke then. <laughs> yeah, it used to it used to make my colleagues laugh a little bit when they um, when they realised that uh, I was into food smoking. I mean, they used to like the products. Don't get me wrong, but they always found time to rib me about. You know, if ever we turned up to a fire, they'd ask me what kind of wood that was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you brought any salmon with you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that's Strap right. Strap salmon bit. to your uniform and then go in and put the uh, put the fire on. <laughs> if only it was that simple. Eh? <laughs> More hot smoking, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's actually quite funny because I do get. Those comments are made quite a lot by some of some of my colleagues, and it is quite a funny sort of reference and link, really. But <laughs> yeah. it's the you know, just smoking fire now. So, so when when did it sort of become move from like a hobby to then this is what you do now, and, so, and what sort of uh, what sort of made that change for you? Well, we. We started, um, obviously, I, I had a, an inherent interest in it, and I ended up drawing some plans for this smoker that I built. Because um, a friend of mine at work said, um, I'm looking for a really interesting present for my dad, and I haven't got a clue what to get him. And he knew that I'd built a smoker, and he said, oh, have you got the drawings for it? Because I think they'd make a really nice present for him because he's into woodwork and stuff. So I spent a week drawing the drawings onto um, a PDF and um, I emailed it to him. He was really happy with it. And he said, oh, you should put these on the internet. So that's what I ended up doing. I, I put them on the internet. I bought the web domain, coldsmoking.co.uk, and uh, put them up on the website for sale for one ninety nine. So it wasn't like I was you know, going to break the bank. Yeah. Um, selling them but we sold over 2,000 copies of those planes and that's kind of where it started because I got a call about six months after I put them up on the website I got a call from an organization called the Low Impact Living Initiative, Lily for short and a guy called Dave Darby who runs it, he, he was looking for a tutor to run a food smoking course for them and up until that actually run anything courses and he asked me if I would be willing to do that and uh, I said yes, and it's kind of it, it went from there, really. So it was a hobby, as such, and it was a part-time business because obviously I was still employed by the fire service up until 2014. So it really transited from a part-time business into a full-time business in May 2014 when I retired. Um, but the first sort of six months of my retirement were taken up with actually writing uh, my second book, which was uh, Food Smoking, uh, Curing and Drying. Amazing. So, so the, the comic, as I say, you said that's your second book, so you'd already written a first book as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, so when I'd done a few courses for Dave, we, we were having a conversation about how it was going and talking about some of the feedback, which was 
pretty positive, um, which was pleasing to hear. And he just mentioned in passing that Lily do a series of different books on some of the subjects that they teach. And he asked me if I'd be interested in writing a book on food smoking. So I spent six months, six to nine months writing that book. Uh, I mean, the good book is full of really useful information, but don't spell it and uh, despite it. It really has too much of that. Nevertheless, it's a book available. It's got lots of practical information and it's also got the drawings that I put on my website for one ninety nine in there as well. So if you buy the book, you get the, you get the plans for the free. The plans are free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's got lots of basic information in there, a little bit of science, but um, and you know technique for for making smoked salmon and stuff like that. So and a lot of other food as well. So it covers quite a wide range of stuff. But it was predominantly focused on food smoking. Um, cool. So the second book was a little bit broader than that. It covered meat curing, charcuterie, drying, and curing and smoking. So it covered a, a range of uh, different subjects. Amazing. So, the low impact living is that is that like sort of small holds and growing your own stuff and I don't know uh, that yeah. sort of thing. Is that what? Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. They do a range of different courses. So they'll they'll teach you how to build a straw bale house um, and teach you how to make solar panels and you know all exactly. I mean, it it does what it says on the tin. It's a low impact living initiatives so they're they're trying and looking at different ways of passing on information to people about how to live uh, by making less of an impact on the environment and um, so one of the key things that they wanted as part of the course was to have a have have a sort of a, a golden thread running through everything that I did which was about low impact and the, the, I think the key thing is that you know as well as I do when you do barbecue you can if you've got a pocket full of money you can go and spend it on barbecue equipment quite easily nowadays yep. probably 10 years ago not so but nowadays there's such a range of uh, equipment out there that you know you can spend a fortune now uh, part of their ethos was to to be able to do stuff without having to spend a lot of money. Yeah. And one of the things that I came up with was a cardboard smoker. So we would literally smoke food in a cardboard box. Basically, cool. if you think about it, if you're cold smoking, you're not adding any temperature no. to the food. You're just using the smoke products of the smoke to give it extra flavor. I mean, historically, it was a preserving method. But if you think of it, that you just need a device to keep the smoke in the same place as the food. Cardboard mm -hmm. box kind of ticks that box. Yeah. And there were a few other things. Uh, I did an improvised hot smoker, which was essentially two roasting trays, um, one on top of the other, um, held together with bulldog clips. And that worked really nicely as well. Cool. So that ticked that brief, basically, for keeping yeah. it low impact. But yeah, it was... Um, it was an interesting product, and I still—it was an interesting project working for them. And I still do the same course when we run a food smoking course. We still use those methods, but we've got a load of other stuff that we've tagged onto it as well. Yeah, I was chatting to uh, Ty from Max Barbecue uh, Pro Q. Right. He was saying that you helped put together—they <clears throat> have like a cold smoking pack. Yes, that's right. I think we do their—I think we do their bacon cures. Cool. Cool. 
Yeah, he was yeah, saying that uh, he's met you and, and says you're a great guy and was uh, just oh. chatting away. I said that you were coming on the podcast and uh, he was excited to, to listen to the episode. Yeah, and I can see on your on your smoke dust website that you sell the ProQ CSG like cold smoke generator and and their boxes yes. as well. Yes, that's right. We, I mean, I've I've had a, a quite a nice long term relationship with Max Barbecue. They've been really good, um, and I'm one of the few people that's allowed to sell their stuff on my website. Cool. And we actually we actually sell a lot of their products. And I, there's only a few things that I actually recommend people buy. I mean, I use a ProQ Frontier smoker, bullet mm-hmm. smoker. And um, I also use the Artisan cold smoke generator and their original cold smoke generator. And also the um, Eco Smoker as well, which is the small cardboard smoker. Yeah, yeah. And we, they're the only products that I recommend, really. I know they do a wider range, but, you know, and I do tell people about that. If they want to go and spend lots of money, they're free to do so. If they want to get a discount, then, you know, use my name. But um, they've, uh, I mean, I've, Virtually every smoker, so um, you know, twenty six and with that selection so, yeah, of, of things you've just said, I mean, you can pretty much do the whole variety of sort of uh, cold smoking to, to hot smoking and, and everything in between in, really. So, yeah, I mean, it's quite like, like yeah. you said, I mean, those products that you recommend are, are really yeah. enough to do like the whole the whole thing, the whole heart. You could do whatever you wanted, really, with it, which is cool. Yeah, we so we teach the hot smoking techniques as well, but we also teach people that, you know, if they want to go and buy one of these bullet smokers, you know, they're not cheap. They're a bit of an investment, and um, we like to keep ours in, in good nick. So I'm constantly washing it and keeping it polished and shiny, <laughs> which has <is> some, <laughs> got something to do with my OCD, perhaps. But uh, it, it's nice, because when people see it, a lot of people say, oh, have you only just got that? And I say, no, it's about two years old, so that, that, that freaks them out a little bit. But we, we show them the hot-smoking techniques on it, and we tell them also, you know, if you've got one of these, you don't even need a cardboard box because so long as you take out the charcoal and just put the cold smoke generator in the base, you've got yourself a cold smoker. Um, so the light comes on for a lot of people when yeah. they actually see the equipment being used in a certain way and in a variety of different ways with a variety of different foods. So it's a, it's an all-immersive course, so it's a whole day and there's a lot involved in it. Um, I recommend people don't eat the day before <laughs> because we we do quite a lot of food. Cool, awesome. Do you so now you're sort of I know that you were saying that like sort of your first experience smoking and stuff was uh, trying to uh, get the smoked salmon uh, for your dad. And, yeah. Uh, so I guess that sort of flavour and and food was was the the reason why you got into sort of smoking and curing. But do you see if it uh, now? Do you look at it more or? Do you look at it at all as a sort of preservation technique, and and uh, and that, is that how you teach it, or do you just teach it as a way to to turn to change one thing into basically another another flavorful, enjoyable food? I I do teach people that it was a preservation method, and I think it's important to know the heritage of where this this process came from. 
Um, and yeah, before we had good quality refrigeration, then that was a means of preserving food. And, and the curing process that goes before it is also part of that process because you're essentially lowering the water activity of the, the fish so that bacteria, you know, can't be supported. Mm-hmm. And then by adding smoke, you're you're also using the qualities of the smoke, so some of the phenolic compounds in, in the smoke, which actually have antibacterial, antimicrobial properties. So those are important processes, but I tend to try and teach people that it's more more nowadays about adding flavor you know those those processes are still working but we're still going to put this stuff in the fridge at the end of the day when it's done you know we're not going to leave it hanging (laughs) out (laughs) you know we may have done that 100 years ago perhaps but now it's about you know we 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 use smoke now more as a flavor more as a seasoning Mm -hmm. um and i think that's the kind of angle i come from but you know um i i I've been doing smoking for a long time, but I was thinking about, before I came on here today, I was thinking, have I done any sort of smoking beforehand, um, other than cigarettes, of course. But we, <laughs> I remember back when I was a kid, we used to do a lot of barbecue, obviously, with dads. We would, um, we'd barbecue whenever, you know, even if it was raining, we'd barbecue. But some of the things that he used to do, it only really clicked with me the other day that actually we were essentially smoking the food and infusing it with flavours. And we used to use rosemary. Whenever we cooked lamb on a barbecue, we used to put um, before... So we'd have the rack that we're going to put the barbecue lamb with the lamb on. But before we put the lamb down on the on the grill, we would lay sticks of rosemary on it. Mm-hmm. sprigs of rosemary on, on the grill and then put the lamb on top of it and let it cook through the rosemary. So Such an amazing we, smell comes off when we fresh yeah. herbs oh, on the on the on the <laughs> yeah. directly on the it's an amazing smell. Absolutely. It's it's ridiculous. And we, it only really um occurred to me that that's what we were doing when I was thinking consciously thinking about it the yeah. other day. Um but yeah, so in in that sense we've been doing it for years. Um, but um, using things like um, whiskey oak or hickory um, nowadays is is um, is more of seen more as mainstream barbecue. But you know, everyone, I think most people have got a rosemary bush in their garden, or they know someone with a rosemary bush. Who they, and and you know, that's a, a fantastic way. If you're doing lamb on a lamb on a barbecue, is excellent with nothing added. Okay. Yeah except mm-hmm. a little bit of salt and pepper as you're barbecuing. Put rosemary on and, and smoke it in the way I've just described, and it is absolutely insane. It, it really does take it to another level. Yeah, I do a similar thing, just like with a sprig of, not really a sprig, like a stick with all the bay leaves are still attached to it. Just lay down mm. a load of bay leaves and stick that on top. Or even like oh. wrap, wrap bay leaves like all around it, it's... Bay leaves is another yeah. one that's got that. As soon as you chuck it on the coals, you can just smell it, and it just smells incredible. Yeah, you do get an, a, such an amazing aroma from it. I remember a little while ago um, we had a bay tree in our garden, and I I did prune quite a hefty branch from it, and I, rather than throw the wood away, I actually debarked it and turned it into chips and dust. So. Uh, whenever we were doing any hot smoking, I could demonstrate by throwing some of this wood on the charcoal, the aroma, nice. and, and yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. So, mm. I'm going to just add, so one of the sort of uh, things that attach to sort of curing 
and smoking and, and drying food is, is sort of safety. A lot of people were sort of scared to, to get involved. What, what do you sort of say to that and, and what is your way around that and, and uh, what, what sort of remarks do you have on safety for people in approaching smoking, curing and drying food? Okay. So, you know, if you're smoking a piece of stem or a piece of fish, there, there's nothing really too much to worry about. You shouldn't really, certainly for fish, you shouldn't really be using any chemicals other than salt. Uh, so the only real danger is that you're going to over-salt it. So if, for instance, you're going to be making smoked salmon, one of the biggest faults people make is they completely bury the, the salmon in salt and leave it for far too long and it comes out yes it's lost all its weight but it's taken on an awful lot of salt and it becomes very salty so the way i overcome that issue is i weigh the salmon and i i calculate 10 percent sometimes not even 10 percent but you know between eight to ten percent of the weight of that uh, salmon fillet uh, I weigh that amount out in salt, and that's the amount of salt that I will sprinkle on the surface of that salmon to cure it. And I'll probably only cure it for about sort of six to eight hours in a fridge. And that's so. So that's for making that's for making dry cured salmon. So yeah, cool. Something like Scottish smoked salmon. If if you're going to be making a something like a kipper, and you were going to be using a herring and you back-filleted it and split it and laid it flat, gave it a clean, removed the gills, and you want to apply some salt to that. You want to cure that before you then cold smoke it. I wouldn't put dry salt on it. I would make up a brine, and then I'd brine the kipper for about 20 minutes. And the brine... So um, so an eight, I, I tend to stick to uh, one one particular strength of brine and i tend to go for what what's called an 80 percent brine which is um 80 of the total amount of salt that you can dissolve into a given quantity of water and it works out 267 grams of salt in a liter of water makes an 80 percent brine and if you if you keep one measure completely static then you can vary the amount of time that the fish is in that brine um to to sort of suit your taste for salt if you like so a kipper for instance in an 80 percent brine will probably be in there for 20 minutes take it out let it dry hang it to dry and then it's ready to smoke um but say something like a cod loin it's a slightly lighter meat probably 15 minutes in in an 80 percent brine and i would tend to give that a rinse before i patted it dry and then smoked it see everything's a lot quicker than what yeah, i thought definitely. I, this is this is really cool. So, mm. what 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 are like the major sort of differences between sort of dry curing and brining something? Like what what so what difference do you expect? To, so, say if you were to take a kipper and to dry, just to to cure it, and then you would take another kipper and to brine it. What are the sort of uh, I don't know sort of f- the fundamental differences that you'd expect to to yield in the product? Okay, so it it really does depend on what you're going what you want as an end product okay that that depends so if you're making say for instance if you're doing a prosciutto ham you'll dry salt it if you are making because uh, you really you want a drier product you want to dry that product if you are making a scottish style smoked salmon you'd dry the salmon 
with uh, you'd use dry salt on the salmon because you want to remove some of the moisture you want to lower the water activity when you're cooking something um say for instance a kipper or you're going to be hot smoking a cod loin um then what you want to do is you want to try and retain some moisture but also um, give it a salt treatment so that it's safe to cold smoke for a period of time and and the way the way i choose to do that is i use quite a strong brine because that gives the surface treatment um it keeps it nice and clean it gives it additional flavor and it also cures the outside sufficiently so that it can withstand an extended period in in a smoker um, where it's you know essentially it's going to be at ambient temperature so you wouldn't ordinarily leave a fresh piece of fish out uh, at that um, at that sort of temperature without giving it some pre-treatment before it goes in there mm-hmm. so I, I, I mean to summarize it's really dependent whether you dry cure or you wet brine it depends on the product you want at the end of it basically okay cool cool well i'm already learning mm. loads from you and just whilst we are learning loads i just want to touch on the fact that you you offer courses and stuff so so if, if someone wanted to sort of come along and learn a lot more like what, what are the courses that you offer and and uh, and where can people sort of book onto those well, we teach uh, food smoking, meat curing and charcuterie. We also run a sausage making class as well. We've got uh, visiting tutors who come in and teach uh, cheese making, jams, chutneys and preserves. We also, during the summer, run a kids sausage making class as well. Um, that, all these courses are available to be booked online. If people go to my website, coldsmoking.co.uk, they can book the courses directly uh, through the website. If they're more happy to give me a call uh, on our phone, the contact details are on the website as well, and they can give me a call and I can take a booking over the phone for them um, if that's how they uh, prefer. We are looking in the future. It's more of a long-term aspiration to put some of the courses online so people can access them online. They'll be able to download content. There'll be videos and uh, supporting materials to assist them in any projects that they're looking to do. Awesome, and I see on here as well. It offers you offer um, like gift certificates for courses as well. So it could be a nice Christmas present for somebody. Indeed, yeah, we've um, we've been turning over quite a lot of those in the last couple of days. Um, food smoking. Uh, food smoking gift certificates very popular. Meat curing is uh, also uh, quite um, popular at this time of year, as is the sausage making as well, which is something that uh, is good fun too. I mean, people come along, they get their hands on the equipment and they actually learn how to make the sausages. There's quite a bit of science that goes into making a good sausage as well. It's not just um, mix everything together, but there's a there's a specific order that we teach uh, so that you get the correct texture Cool. Uh, of the meat as well so yeah it's, really uh, important it's i find it really rare that you get a, a good sausage and and it is like one of those things that when you do have a good sausage you you do take a second and go wow that that is a a great bite but it is yeah. very rare you get a a great sausage i think yeah i think um i think there are some there are some reasonable sausages out there on the market but you've got to pay good money for them and um you know, I the thing about people coming on the course to learn how to make sausages is I think there's a fear that all sorts of stuff go into sausages. 
and you know <laughs> if you come on the sausage making course the way i teach it i go from the cuts of meat so people can see the meat going into the mincer they know what's going into it yeah i mean i had a butcher admit to me once that he puts tongue in his sausages mm. which for me is a complete no-no not because tongue isn't a good meat it's because when I, when i cook tongue i peel it so you can't do that with a raw tongue so no. it's not something that you should be putting in sausages but you know I'm sure he's not telling his customers he does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a good, a good friend of our show from the company Angus and Oink, and they make like, a really, really good range of sausages. Um, yeah. Dan's used them a lot in like, doing your uh, trade stand and stuff, so he's he's been selling those, and they they come across so well, don't they? All the customers oh, that eat those really love them, don't they? Yeah. When you get when you get a good sausage, it really is. Um, uh, something to behold, I think. You know, yeah, I definitely. did um, one of my very first sausage making classes that I did about eighteen months ago. There was a guy on it who uh, runs a website called the Sausage Review, and they—it's a group of guys. They just go around sampling different manufacturers' makes of sausages and then rating them on their website. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> who, says, who says there isn't a website for everyone? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'll have to check That's it out in a minute. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he actually said he really liked the way that I taught the course and some of the uh, technique was absolutely spot on. <laughs> so <laughs> he even rated the sausages that he had from the course, which was quite nice. Yeah. But yeah, cool. we do like um, we do like to uh, do the sausage making. It is good fun. But the, the meat curing and the charcuterie is also something that we we really take a, a keen interest in. And um, I resurrected some bacon that um, really took me back to my childhood not so long ago. And I cured some Gloucestershire Old Spot. And any of you know the breed. Mm. It's incredibly fatty, <clears throat> but when you when you when you cook that really slowly and probably on the lowest heat you could get in a frying pan, just allow it to melt in the frying pan. No added oil, nothing, no butter, nothing. Just just let it go at the lowest temperature. Probably takes about fifteen minutes to do four rashes, and then they turn them every couple of minutes so that they're getting an even slow cook the fat literally melts out of it and you're left with a bacon i can only remember from when i was a child um it's absolutely amazing slightly expensive meat because it's it's not easy to get hold of so i think i was paying somewhere in the region of seven pound fifty a kilo which is quite expensive for belly yeah. pork mm. but given it was gloucester old spot and a lot of people see, well, they say, well, that's about 90% fat, that mm. cut. <laughs> but actually, it is 100% flavor. And it's, mm -hmm. it's something that I would recommend to people to to do if they ever get the opportunity. And if they've yeah. got a local supplier as well. So, yeah, it was a real great experience. We were only chatting to uh, John Gower from Quiet Waters Farm the other week. And we were saying about how like, once you've given homemade bacon a go, how... You just it makes you re relive and re realize that the bacon that we're buying from supermarkets or we're yeah. buying from supermarkets isn't isn't bacon. It's just not right. And no. and the stuff that you can make at home. And I, I think that obviously I prom 
I'm in no way in a league of making bacon as such of like you guys, like you and, and probably John and people like that. But even the bacon that I make, I, I find is like just a completely different league to to what you can buy in a supermarket. And, and I, I just think that it cooks. So, I mean, when you put a, some, I don't know, supermarket bacon into a frying pan, the water that comes, mm. I mean, your frying pan fills with water. Mm. When you when you fry some uh, bacon you've made at home, you don't. There's no water. No water comes you're not out. Boiling your you're bacon. Not, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's, it's a completely yeah. different product. It's like a completely different thing. And I just think that it's super easy to do at a basic level, like I do. But obviously, I, I mean, there's loads of techniques and stuff that you can develop, I guess, and and flavor profiles you can play with, and different yeah. smokes and uh, length yeah, of smoking yeah. periods and stuff like that, that. That sort of will take it to the next level. But for the average yeah, person yeah. to start doing at home, it's such an easy thing to do. And the, the product that you yield is just absolutely phenomenal, I think. I see on your website, they've got like different flavored cures as well. So you've got like a juniper, yeah. juniper and pepper baking cure. That's right. Yeah, we also do a licorice one. It's out of stock at the moment. I, I get to make some more, which uh, licorice used to be used in the old days as a, as a natural sweetener. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a different take on a sweet cure bacon. Um, mm. We don't use enough licorice to make it, to give it any colour. So what I tend to do whenever I I use a licorice, I, I tend to add a little bit of treacle with it as well. Oh, nice! Just to give it some colour. But the basics. I mean, you talk about you know bacon, making your own bacon being uh, it's it is a complete one way street. Once you've made your own bacon, it's it would be an anathema to walk into a supermarket and buy bacon. Yeah, um, because it's just not the same product. You no, know, two different the things. Bacon, yeah, absolutely. So the bacon you buy in a supermarket is, is generally speaking, injection brined, and as it's sliced and packed, it's still curing. Uh, so you're buying it with an awful lot of moisture in it. So, and obviously because you know they're looking at their profit margins and their yield, and that that is a major factor in the way that they present it to you in those packets. So that's not your concern when you make bacon. Your your concern is that you source the right meat, that you've cured it the right way, and then you know you cook it the right way, and and it comes out lovely. So for me, they are they are two completely different products and shouldn't be no. mistaken. Yeah, you know, and I, they should be called different names. They shouldn't. They shouldn't even be allowed to call it bacon. I don't think personally. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, I think that would be a great way of distinguishing between the two. There should be a DOP for bacon, yeah. shouldn't they, really? I think you know? Warrisons and Wesco's are going to try and shut us down for this, yeah. but we don't care. <laughs> revolution, bacon revolution, starting now. <laughs> Hashtag bacon revolution, guys, get it trending. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I think the the other thing about making bacon is that a lot of people tend to tend to go on the internet to look for recipes, and they, you know, you look at 100 different um, websites and you'll get a hundred different recipes. I, I teach a technique which is generally accepted as being um, uh, commercially accepted, low volume sort of producers um, method, uh, which is really, really simple. We don't like to complicate things. We like to keep it simple. So it's really just salt, a little bit of preservative, um, sodium nitrite, generally speaking, um, or Prague one, if you uh, mm-hmm. You want to use Prague one. We use very, very specific measures, and um, we try and we try and keep everything as simple as possible. We tend not to uh, 
brine our bacon. We like to dry salt it. So we we tend to do that inside vacuum bags and um, and keep everything nice and easy to work with in the fridge. Because a lot of people, you know, working with domestic fridges, it's uh, you don't want to have open open meat in the fridge no. it's nice to have it nice and sort of separate so we tend to do things in vacuum bags keep it nice and simple so that it's easy to replicate and people can continue on making their own bacon time and time again smoking it the way they want to smoke it um without any aggro at all yeah it, once people realize that it's you know it's as easy as it is then uh I mean, I've had people go out and buy buy themselves slicers and all sorts of things because they've they've got right, you know, they've really got into it and it's something that they wanted to carry on doing for. Yeah, a long time. see, that's my problem. I don't have a slicer. My slicing skills weren't quite up to scratch, so I had really <laughs> I had odd, some nice thick bits from you. Yeah, didn't some I? thick bits and weird shaped bits and all sorts, but Still it was all it good. was all lush, so uh, I don't really mind. Well, one of the big problems when you're slicing bacon on a slicer is that you tend to get fat dragged. So, for some people, That's it what can when be, I walk. <laughs> <laughs> it can be a bit of a problem when you when you're slicing lots of slices. So we we tend to par freeze our bacon before we slice yeah, it, cool. so that it's really cold and it, it slices not nice and neatly. But the other thing is, if you if you do if you do have quite fatty bacon, sometimes it is actually easier to cut it by hand. You get a nice chunky slice as well. Then, so yeah, I'm thinking I need to invest in maybe some Ayushan slices or something yeah. and uh, that, that's just an excuse to buy something else I suppose but anyway uh, do you do you find the the vacuum as uh, you're saying you like you vacuum seal it for sort of contamination purposes and to just keep yeah. things clean do you find that speeds up the process of curing or does it not matter does it uh, just just a way of keeping it sealed in I guess I think it does speed it up a little bit but it, it keeps the it keeps the salt solution in in and i say solution because as soon as you put dry salt on bacon it starts to dry out moisture but if you have that in a bag it just keeps it in close proximity Mm -hmm. and if you overhaul it every day and by that i mean just taking it out the fridge um shuffling it around in your hand making sure it's all the cures moved over the whole surface and then just plucking it back down in the fridge again so that's i call that overhauling Mm -hmm. it's a term they use in america and it's uh that's good for us. But if you do that every day while it's curing, um, I generally recommend um, one day per half inch of thickness plus two days. So for the average sort of two and a half inch thick piece of um, back bacon, I'd say roughly a week. Cool. The cure. cool. Overhaul it every day so it gets duffed up seven times um, before you actually take it out. But yeah, we, we put it in vacuum bags. We... We don't use a fancy vacuum sealer either. We tend to try and use stuff that people can get hold of. So, again, when people see it being done with the equipment that we use, um, they can go away and do it. Successful for it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. So we use something called a JML Food Saver, mm-hmm. uh, which I think you can pick up for around about 50 quid. It comes with a couple of rolls of vacuum bags. Cool. But we also sell the vacuum bags on our website as well. There was one that's all over the forums. It was uh, in Lidl for sale over the a special promotion over the weekend down to 25, 24 quid or something from 50 quid. I can't yeah. I can't say if it was any good or not, but that was quite a cheap one to pick up. And uh, a lot of people seem to have grabbed one and uh, saying that they were okay. So maybe have a look out for that promotion if you, if you were around and want to pick I something up to give it a try. 
That's a great idea, yeah. And I, I do, whenever people come on my courses, I always try and find out when salmon's on special yeah. at the supermarkets because they all tend to run the promotions at the same time. Yeah. So you'll find, certainly in the UK, in the run-up to Christmas, uh, we've now got, I think I think it's uh, running from the 16th, so it's tomorrow. Um, there's a promotion, half price for whole salmon. Wow. In, in most of the UK supermarkets. Yeah. So if you want to make cool. yourself some smoked salmon in the run-up to Christmas, now is the time to get out get there, out there and, and buy do it. it. Yeah. Cool, awesome. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that you like to use like a dry cure for, for bacon, and, and when you, as soon as you put like that dry cure on, it tends yeah. to turn to a wet cure pretty quickly. So it, yeah. what, what is the difference? So I'm talking in terms of like sort of the sweeten, the sweetener, the sweet flavour that you use. So if you do yeah. sugar of some sort, whether that be demerara or whatever, brown sugar, yeah. white sugar, then that's your dry cure. But if you were to use sort of another sweetener like honey or maple syrup yeah. or treacle or whatever, how do, do you find that, if, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to word the question, like do you does that affect the cure or does it not make much of a difference or, or why, do you, why do you tend to use the sort of dry ingredients rather than a, a wet ingredient in, in that sense? Okay, I'd, I'd use a dry ingredient because it's cheaper, okay. generally speaking. So, so for instance, uh, demerara sugar is not that cheap, to be fair, but certainly granulated sugar is reasonably cheap. Yeah. So you can use that as a sweetener. But if you want to use, if you want to add a, a slightly bit more interesting flavour, you can use demerara sugar or muscovado sugar as well. They really cool. add some interesting flavour profiles to the bacon. But mm. if you want to use a wet cure, also a wet a wet sweetener, for instance, say treacle or maple syrup or honey, uh, then that's absolutely fine. You can use that. But I tend to use slightly less of it because okay. it goes a bit further. So, for instance, um, for a two-kilo piece of back bacon, for instance, I would use probably two tablespoons of treacle. Cool. Um uh, and sure, I would, yeah. That, yeah, and that would be the same with maple syrup or honey, yeah. etc. Et when buying so. maple syrup, guys, make sure and buy 100% maple syrup, syrup not maple-flavoured something yeah, or other. absolutely. So keep an yeah, eye yeah. out, guys, because it's uh, quite... They try and fool you in every way mm. imaginable these days, so make sure you're buying... 10% uh, maple syrup. Yeah, 10% <laughs> maple, and then uh, the rest is like maple flavourings of some sort. Yeah, you'll, you you know which one it is, because it's the one that's probably more expensive the than price. people yeah. want to buy. Yeah. <laughs> so, the one that's not two quid, it's nine quid. Yeah. <laughs> but you get what you pay for. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. You also you mentioned get what you pay for. that you were thinking about, or talking about, or in the process of organising sort of butchery courses and stuff. Yes, indeed. Yeah, we've, um, we've been talking to uh, some farm shop owners uh, over the last few months, and because it's something that we're interested in and it's an artisan process and i think people are more interested there's more and more people now who are thinking of keeping their own livestock and uh sending it off to be slaughtered and then they get um a carcass and want to know what to do with it so yeah. we are looking at putting on a course which is going to sort of focus mainly on butchery uh, mm -hmm. for say half a pig carcass or maybe even a lamb a lamb carcass and then just doing some traditional cuts yeah and just showing people how to process the carcass so cool. that they can then either go ahead and freeze it or make bacon with it if, if it's a pig indeed or if we 
and we may even want to may even want to make some prosciutto with it as well so. cool so on that course will you break down like you said like half an animal and will you yeah. will you teach them like how to use sort of like nose to tail and sort of how to use everything or how they could use everything in some sort of yeah. way or? so it will focus on nose to tail uh, it will pretty much start from the head and end with the tail so we will be showing things like prosciutto we may even so there's going to be we're going to try and break it up. So, for instance, we might do something with uh, the kidneys. We may we may devil some kidneys, perhaps, or we may even show um, how to butterfly the um, fillet and um, stuff it with uh, with something and, and tie it. So, so, making some fancy butcher's cuts, mm. and, yeah, amazing, cool. sort of joints and things like that. And uh, so, it's, it, we haven't completely sort of bottomed out everything we're going to do but it's it's going to be a day sort of interspersed so there'll be theory there'll be uh predominantly practical we'll be showing people how to cure bacon on it how to take the ribs off um you know how to prepare ribs we might even um because i like barbecue i might show people how to do ribs how to show them awesome. baby back ribs show them yeah, st louis yeah. style cut <laughs> square cut ribs etc et so we'll right. show so them where, where do we sign up where yeah. do we sign up <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep an eye on that space definitely yeah indeed and i'll i'll be posting information on the blog and on, on the website as uh, as we get cool. closer to that but cool. uh, yeah it's, it's something that we're looking at um progressing with and we've we've got some fantastic farm shops local to us uh, we also run a i'm also chairman of uh, mk food fest which is a food festival in great linford in linford manor park it's an open air food festival in september oh, amazing and we're running we're running it in uh, september the 16th 2017 cool. the last one was uh, this september just gone and uh, we had over to I think it was about two and a half thousand people there throughout the day it's going to I think it's going to increase and, and get bigger as time goes by but we're looking Amazing. for we're looking at having 50 different food stalls 10 hot food and the rest farmers market and local producers all from within 20 miles of Milton Keynes Amazing. So, cool yeah it's it's, uh, it's a big thing and it's something that is uh, yeah, I'm sure it will keep growing yeah, it is, and it's it's a, it promotes businesses that are local to Milton Keynes, and it's all about sort of fresh and keeping it local, and you know, people being able to secure stuff. If you taste something in Milton Keynes, it's nice that you know that you can probably go out and buy it locally without having to go miles. Cool, yeah, amazing. So that's that's something else that we're involved in too. So yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, we re- we recently were uh, we know the ladies who run the Burnham on Seafood Festival, which is a another great one that started small and has grown to to masses. Uh, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. That concentrates on sort of provenance in the local area and and uh, mm. and promoting local businesses, which is cool. And and that's what people people are interested in that now. They're interested in the journey of their food from sort of their production to their plate from the from the farmers from the from the crops to, uh, they're interested in where food comes from now and and the story behind it so it'd be great to see you uh you growing that into mm. or even as it is now and, and then seeing how it goes in the future we've seen such an interest and i think you're absolutely right more and more people now are, are taking a, an active interest in the way food is produced and how it does end up on their pl- on our plates. And I think we're, we're seeing it more now because of the growth of social media as well. Because, you know, if you'd have asked someone 
10 years ago what a food blogger was. I, I don't think they would have had a clue. No. But, you know, nowadays, these, you know, people that are interested in food have got a platform and they've got mm-hmm. means getting out there and, and pushing their message. And it's, it's seen by more and more people. Plus, you know, if you, you've, you've only got to look at the television. Um, if you look at the breakdown of a week's television, there's, you know, you've got Mark so Shepard, many foodie programs. Yeah. There's so many food programs on like nowadays. And it, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. One of that. my colleagues won that. He was a firefighter from uh, North London. I forget his name now, but he um, he ended up winning it. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two firefighters. They did really well. I think that was <laughs> the first series when it came to the UK. But yeah, but you know that that just serves to prove a point, doesn't it? There are so many food programs on the telly now, yeah. and a lot of these programs are focusing on, you know, fresh produce, local ingredients, exactly, um, and you know, ethical supply. And I think that's really, really important. It's really mm. important for people to know where their food comes from. You know, I think that's definitely, and, and that's really what's driven the popularity of the courses that I run. Really, I mean, people. Not only do they want to know where their foods come from, they want to know how they can produce it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so they can so visit we, their we local do. farmer and pick up a, an amazing cut of meat and then they can take it home yeah. and, and cure it, smoke it, uh, dry it, etc. And, mm. and, and develop it into something else and, and, then, uh, and then get it on the plate and, and eat it and enjoy it, share it with others. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of it. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, on our meat curing course, we always stand by what we produce. So we, if we're telling people we're making pancetta for lunch, we give them PM pancetta soup, and it's the smoked pancetta that we made on the previous course. Amazing. <laughs> it's, we do try and keep it in the family. So yeah, to cool. It's, it's awesome. kind of standing by your products and your methods as well. And, and when people can see that and they can taste it, then it, it sort of cements the learning for them as well. Definitely. So I do get I do get a lot of emails from people uh, who've been on the courses, and I always say this to people whenever they come on one of my courses, or if if ever they buy a book from me, they want to know something um, that they're doing with their food. They want to check if it's okay or right or correct, or they've got their method right. Then just email, drop me an email. I normally reply within twenty four hours. Cool. Um, that's a great so shout, we, guys. Mm-hmm. A great offer. Uh, you're going to be bombarded, so get emailing, guys, <laughs> any questions you've got. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going away to Mexico on the 2nd of January for two weeks. <laughs> Better, get oh, get that <laughs> <laughs> Better keep you busy before you go, then. Yeah, you know, yeah Don't take any books on holiday. <laughs> respond to emails. <laughs> we, are, we are literally at the hour mark, but I just want to quickly touch on, you, you're going to be offering also a, a sort of a an Eastern sort of Europe uh, sort of barbecue course as well. Yeah, I grew up with this style of barbecue. So making kufter, really interesting cuts of lamb, lamb skewers, lamb shish kebab, um, making good pilar rice and, you know, using... uh, So the, the whole course is really about how to set up barbecue it's the technique for cooking on the barbecue and not over, certainly not overcooking, but getting it dead right. I mean, we, we make things like köfte. Um, there's a very good technique for making köfte where you don't need to use things like egg to bind it. So, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's, it's simple little tricks and tips and hints and, you know, guidance for people to cool. be able to make a, a fantastic 
a fantastic Eastern Mediterranean barbecue. It's going to be, it's an afternoon course. So there'll be about an hour and a half's worth of prep, um, half an hour's worth of cooking, and about an hour and a half's worth of eating afterwards. Amazing. So and they'll balance. be able to, yeah, uh, to go home and do a <laughs> Eastern Mediterranean barbecue for yeah, their friends we'll be and making family. a salad. We'll be making a salad. We'll be making pilar rice. We'll also be preparing the lamb skewers and also uh, the kerf there. Amazing. And, uh, yeah, that's, so that's the sort of thing that we're looking at doing, and that's that's likely to go on the website, ready for around about May June time. Cool, sounds good. Perfect. Sounds good. Well, we are over the hour mark now, so I am going to say thank you very, very much, uh, Turan, for coming on the show. Really enjoyed having you on, and really learned loads. And we could probably talk for another hour easily. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got <laughs> a list of other things to talk about, so we'll have to get you back on another day. I think. I didn't Brilliant even look stuff, at that guys. list. I'm afraid. Sorry. Yeah, we're only halfway <laughs> through our list. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just got so into. It, I was just chatting away. So anyway, that was fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure chatting with you about food and um, we'll just like to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Thank you Thank very you. much Thank and you. to you too. Before you go, could you just run through where people could find you uh, if they want to basically uh, hook up, they want to read your blog, yeah. they want to yeah, come website, on websites media, and stuff, stuff like that, social media. Yep, yeah, okay. So we are on Twitter at Cold Smoking. We are on Facebook, Cold Smoking. Uh, we are on the web, www.coldsmoking.co.uk, and all the links and contacts are, are on the website. If anyone wants to get in contact with me, that's absolutely fine. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you very much, Sharon. Merry Christmas, and uh, Pleasure, guys. lots of love. Catch Cheers. you in a bit. See you soon. Bye. Nice one. Cheers. Nice. Thanks. Bye. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We've recorded yet another awesome podcast to get you over hump day. As always, we're brought to you by ProQ Barbecue Gourmet Commando Joe and Smoke with Shack, our epic sponsors. ProQ is dedicated to providing with quality smoking products with top-notch service and <laughs> free advice for beginners to pit masters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. So if you're thinking about buying your first smoker, wanting to upgrade, or looking for some charcoal cabinet smokers, check them out over at Max Barbecue. Barbecue Gourmet is devoted to promoting real barbecue and supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning barbecue rub sources, marinades and accessories from the US and around the world. And you can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. So regardless of how you cook, whether it's on charcoal, wood, gas or electric, the real taste barbecue can be yours all around. Dan is awesome. Kamala Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation from smoking, roasting and searing. Kamala Joe is a premium ceramic grill chosen by Michelin star chefs and barbecue enthusiasts alike. Get the great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out commandojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. Smoke with Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoking goodness, you provide the talent. So if you're looking for smoking wood, dust, chunks, chips or planks, then head on over to smokewoodshack.com and you can find them on Twitter at smokewoodshack. And, uh, it's weird that yes. you yourself is awesome. It's a bit weird because no one else has said yeah, that. Yeah, Dan is weird. awesome. Right, and uh, goodbye from me. Goodbye from me and I'm the best cook, so press stop. Just press that stop just there. That's it. I'm just stopping it now. I'm the best cook.